Hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live on a Thursday. Got to get used to saying that. It's good to be with you tonight. We had a show uh, planned around Elon Musk, and we had just had to postpone that. There's so much going on with the Valdi school shooting, so many new questions being asked about that shooting and what really transpired after the gunman entered that uh, building and took 19 lives. We were going to be exploring that tonight in great detail with Eric Garland. Erica, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. So it's a grim story, of course, and it's never easy to discuss these things. And yet there are so many questions tonight, primarily around what may have happened in those initial moments when the gunman entered the building. It seems that he was allowed to enter the building unobstructed and for maybe an hour. That's what they say. He wasn't you know, shot at or interfered. And there was some shooting at the beginning, perhaps, but nothing at the, towards the end of the hour. It's quite a dramatic set of uh, details that is now emerging that basically puts into question all the initial information we initially got from police around what was going on at the Uvalde school. It also really questions the response time, um, the police action, and also the lack of reaction for a long period of time because the gunman first rode up to the school and we have a little map here. We can show you what the school looks like from above and you can get a sense that this is a quite openly sparse area. This is not an urban area by any stretch of the imagination. This is the view from Google Map. And what we're looking at here is, you know, a very, very sparse open area. So you could really see what was going on. It's not like the kind of thing where, you know, there's a lot of buildings, people are hiding, there's lots of cars, lots of people. You would really just be able to see what was going on. So he pulls up in his vehicle to, I believe on the, um, here, there's a little ditch and we'll see a photo to confirm this in a second, right over here. You can't see my mouse, I don't think, but there's a little ditch next to the street over here. He pulls up his car, shoots across the street to what I think is this, which is the funeral home. So there's shots being fired at a funeral home. Two eyewitnesses there see him, which obviously means there may have been some sort of, you know, some people may have called or at least alerted police right at that point that there's a gunman here. This is a real gunman. Then he goes unobstructed for 12 minutes or so, maybe even longer, all the way into the building itself. Then he gets into a classroom. Then he does the shooting. Most of the shooting happens at the beginning. And then he goes off to, we don't know where, because he was waiting there, I guess, for an hour until the police finally came in. There were people outside, worried parents outside, trying to figure out why nothing was being done. We have video of that. But first, I want to let you hear from the uh, sheriff who was you know, quite revealing in what they knew about uh, what was going on and how little they knew when they had to do a press conference. And I'd say the press conference today was done in a hurry. It seemed to me like it was one of those things they were doing because there was suddenly an indication from people that there were lots of questions around the police reaction. So they threw together this press conference. This is what he had to say. So at this time, no, no, there was not an officer readily available armed. No. Yeah. Could anybody have gone there sooner? You got to understand small town. Yeah, people from Eagle Pass, from Del Rio, Laredo, San Antonio, responding to a small community. According to the information I have, he went in at 11.40. He walks, and I'm going to approximate 20 feet, 30 feet. He makes a right. He walks into the hallway. He makes a right, walks another 20 feet. Turns left into a schoolroom, into a classroom that has doors open in the middle. Officers are there, the initial officers, they receive gunfire. They don't make entry initially because of the gunfire they're receiving. But we have officers calling for additional resources. 
everybody that's in the area. Tactical teams. We need equipment. We need specialty equipment. We need body armor. We need precision riflemen, negotiators. So during that time that they're making those calls to bring in help to solve this problem and stop it immediately, they're also evacuating personnel. I say personnel, students, teachers. There's a lot going on. But that wasn't really what was going on. In fact, it seems to me that there was no evacuation of, of students. Maybe we don't, haven't seen those details yet, but most of what was going on was people being told not to go in. And you had some questions around the actual border patrol team that came in at the very end to, to finally take down the gunman. So maybe you can explain what your concerns are around that. Well, you know, I got a bunch of thoughts. First of all, you know, I think we should disperse with the notion of good guy with a gun. That was never an operable concept. But, you know, there were long, I mean, what he just said there is, well, you know, the officers were taking fire from the gunman. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what he said. But mm -hmm. I'd be interested in looking at the tactical positioning of that. Like, where were the weapons discharged? In what direction? How many rounds were fired? How many were recovered? And that's what you have FBI teams for, for forensics and whatnot. The I sheriff words, had... I, but just a question. Let me interrupt you before. Just ask you about AR-15s. Because they did say that an AR-15 could shoot through cinder block. That may be true. That would have to be the way they high taking fire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're rounds with an extraordinary amount of uh, velocity behind them because right. of the cartridges. And, you know, so, yes, it is powerful. And those, I, I don't know about uh, piercing straight through a uh, cinder block or what the trajectory would be after that. Those are some interesting questions. It would depend on the construction material. Again, now you're in FBI forensic, you know, yeah. analysis territory. But they're saying, you know, well, they would have taken them down. They were there and they would have taken the bad guy down, but they were taking, you know, enfilading or defilating fire this sort of takes out the whole notion of a, a well a good guy with a gun i mean that's always been a stupid concept that is you know really running interference for uh the gun manufacturers who want to make a bunch of money selling weapons to the drug cartels that's what this is about by the way mm. so to get that out to the audience this is not about gun control for u.s citizens this is about the amount of money that can be made selling weapons that eventually walk out the door and get loaded on container ships and get sent to Venezuela and Honduras and to cocaine smugglers and human traffickers who want the guns. And so all this stuff about a good guy with a gun and you have to put up with endless numbers of uh, domestic terrorist attacks. It's all bullshit. That's not what this is about. It's about money yeah, and, and to a degree domestic terrorism. That, that's, I mean, you're not suggesting that the GOP is in cahoots with uh, the cartels, or are you saying that? Well, I don't know. We already found out in 2016 that they took a bunch of money as a straw donor for the Russian mob out of Barcelona with mm -hmm. Alexander Torshin and that, mm -hmm. uh, that redhead there, uh, Maria Butsina. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was a narrative story. Then we broke that story. It was a big deal that that happened then, that the Russians were, in fact, funding the NRA through these two people from Russia. I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, what were they doing? Part of the National, you know, the Rifle Association of America, they don't even have a rifle association there because, oh, they do now, actually. They try to copy the NRA, but they aren't allowed to carry weapons there. Well, <laughs> like, they should have sent them at Ukraine. Maybe uh, they would have done better than they did. Yeah, maybe. You know, the interesting thing here for me is that the Border Patrol was needed to call in. I mean, there's lots of police officers there right at the beginning, you know, and there's pandemonium at the beginning, actually, when uh, we first see the parents outside trying to get in. 
And there are police officers there. They're just not going into the school. I mean, I get that this is a active school situation. I get that. And there's an active shooter there. And I get that that is dangerous. But if you're a policeman and you've got weapons and your community's school kids are being killed in cold blood inside your school, don't you go in? Do you not go and make an effort to, to try on. and get in? Yeah, that's your moment. Right. And, and that's by what the you way, do. Uh, in, in terms of other statistics, you know, if you go to the Department of Labor and you look by job code and you look at the uh, morbidity and mortality statistics, police officers, even if you add in not just the danger from being harmed by potential uh, suspects, but also traffic accidents, which is about 50 percent of the injuries and deaths on the job, mm-hmm. you know, people doing traffic cop work or, or being hit while they're driving around because these guys drive eight hours a day, they have the same morbidity and mortality as bartenders. Hmm. Look it up. Department of Labor. Really? Police officers in the United States have no more danger at work than a barback at your local pub. Hmm. That's the stats. You can go check them out. They're airtight. You want to talk about a dangerous job? Fisherman. Oh, the bartender was a dangerous job. But fisherman's more dangerous? Wait, like five times more dangerous. Actually, fishermen's like nine times as dangerous. Uh, loggers, nine times as dangerous. I think roofers are five. Farmers are twice as dangerous as cops. Hmm. Combines and, and all that stuff. And, you know. What's uh, about journalism? Does that qualify as a dangerous profession? Only when you're mouthy like us. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, which we, yes, sometimes we could be a little mouthy. Um, so, but question, back uh, to your point, though, why did these guys not run in? Dude, you're on. This is your gig. And why did they, we need to wait for Border Patrol, who are federal officers? Do they even have the remit for that? And they I mean, didn't. Claim the small town, were, small town. But I mean, small town, there's policemen there. Look, there's pictures of local police there. Surely there's a way for people to get to the school. I mean, it just seems unusual to me that it would take so long. You know, to wait for that time. And I get that it takes a long time for this extra force to get there, but you're a policeman. This is your school. Don't you just do everything you can possibly do to get, try to get to it? I mean, it seems remarkable to me that it took so long. They're south by southwest of uh, San Antonio, and they are not far from the Mexican border. Right. So, yeah, but again, to go back to look, we don't have the information. I don't want to go and second guess uh, people who are in a situation that. I was not there to witness the notion of two or three guys who are nominally trained to handle such situations uh, who are carrying firearms. Yes, the AR-15 is a, you know, a terrible weapon of war. Why it's available to so many American citizens, I guess we uh, need to revisit. But two or three guys, you know, closing on an 18-year-old with no tactical training. I mean, yeah. And there's also this giant 12-minute gap at the beginning. I mean, he comes in. He comes to, the, to that uh, location that we showed you earlier, but we'll show you in another picture here where it is in the actual photo of the car crashed into a ditch. I mean, it's quite dramatic. It's not like parked the car. He crashed into a ditch, comes out, sees two people looking at him, shoots at them. So immediately people must have called 911. I mean, it's not like you would just be hanging out and letting that happen. So you've got, you know, then he takes time to get from there as the uh, sheriff there was describing it. He takes time to get from there into the school. This is him walking towards the school building. I mean, and then he gets into the school and then he gets into a classroom. So there's several steps. Then he does some shooting and then, you know, kills the children and the two teachers. And only then does he, you know, I don't know what happens for the rest of that hour. Why it took an hour? I have no idea why it took an hour. It would be. An hour is a long time in an event like that. 
Yeah, it's very suspicious. It's very suspect. I mean, it could be any number of reasons. I'm sure we'll find out why there are reasons. And I'm sure they had to secure the perimeter, as they said. But we, we know, I mean, maybe they didn't know at the time that it was one gunman, but it didn't, you know, he put this on Facebook. He said on Facebook and social media, that this is what he was doing. He'd shot his grandmother. He was going to go shoot people at the school. This is not someone who was trying to surprise people by this attack. I think he was trying to alert people he was doing this attack, which I don't understand. Like, I don't understand the mental mechanics of all of that and how that works. And I also don't understand, you know, what would trigger someone like this to go and do that. I mean, that to me is the really important question here is, you know, why in America, we keep seeing this question over and over again. Why in America do we have these shootings? It does not happen anywhere else in the world where there are just as many guns and maybe not AR-15s, but there certainly are, are guns, uh, but it does not happen. And where it has happened, there's always immediate action to stop it and it ends. So the question we have to ask is why is it happening with this great frequency in America? And the answer always is there's a lot of guns. Sure, there's a lot of guns, but it's still strange to me that people are finding themselves in only in one country in the world triggered to go and shoot up shopping centers. And they're the same people as who live everywhere else in the world. Why are they in the United States finding the urge to go and buy AR-15s and only in the United States and then shoot up shopping malls and schools? It just doesn't make sense to me. And both the prevalence of guns and mental illness argument falls flat. This is something I've done a lot of research on for many, many years, you know, even going so far as doing spreadsheets and downloads and comparing countries and whatnot. And if you want a control group here about like, okay, well, there's just lots of guns and that'll just happen or evil and or mental illness. Well, one of the most armed places in the United States, if not the number one most armed place per capita in the United States is the state of Vermont, where I hail from. And I always love to tell the story, and I'll tell it again. When we talk about guns in schools, when I was a kid, you can come to about first weekend of the accent's probably going to come out. So don't, you know, <laughs> everyone from home is going to know, you know, I'm keeping it real. <laughs> well, you know, first week, first week Lovely of November, you know, you know, Buck, no, I mean, I'm doing, I'm putting on the other accent. This is my actual accent. But first <laughs> week of November, you know, Buck season kicks off. You know, I went to a very rural high school people would bring their guns to school because they were going to literally, some of them were going to walk out the back of the high school right up into the mountains to go hunting. Yeah. Others would go to other parts of town or to some other non-posted land with the dwindling daylight in the first week of November. And as such, they would, uh, you know, you want to practice gun safety. So you ain't going to leave it in the truck. You might leave your ammo in the truck, but you're going to take the gun away and you bring the gun into school and they would hand the gun in at the front office. And uh, the office manager would check and make sure that there wasn't a round in the chamber and run and go back. And there was a pile of weaponry in the principal's office. Wow. Wow. Do they still do that today? They don't do that today, presumably. Columbine yeah. changed that, but we never had any trouble with it because we have the lowest crime in America. One of the reasons is that we have no money in Vermont. And so there's really no reason to rob anyone or be upset with anybody else because they're just as poor as you. And if you got something that didn't belong to you, everyone's going to know about it. So very small place, not a lot of money. So there's that. But also everyone's armed to the teeth. So they might shoot you in the face if you come to their house right? or elsewhere. So everyone's very polite. Also, there's a lot of mental illness, uh, unhealthy relationships between uh, Vermonters and farm animals, unfortunately. Mm. You know, in other words, there's crazy people and tons of guns. And yet we haven't had a single school shooting. And, you know, back in my day, Every fall, people brought guns into school and uh, did not shoot anybody. 
Yeah. <laughs> Much yeah. less, you know, come in with military hardware. Yeah. They left and, the schools even, to go hunting and they had the weapons with them when they left and when they arrived and they didn't shoot people. So why are they shooting people now? Why this, why is this happening? Yeah. That's the question I'm really getting. We have crazy people think, in Canada too, by the way, lots of crazy people, lots of guns. And you get guns in Canada too. And, and no you know, Alberta, shooters. Northern Ontario and whatnot. And they have been, but yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But they have been a couple, I mean, but not seriously. Look, if you get a bag full of shotgun shells and a double barrel shotgun, so we're not talking about the AR-15, although that's, you know, was designed as a replacement for the M16 mm-hmm. and the maker of, or the designer of the AR-15 said he never intended it in civilian hands because yeah. it's a weapon of war. It is a weapon that is intended to, you know, produce prejudicial, lethal violence to the human body. It was designed for soldiers mm-hmm. he, and that's what it does best. Um, but it, you know, you can do bad stuff with hunting equipment too. You know, or this isn't really hunting equipment, like shotguns. You know, if you had a bag of shotgun shells, you could, boop, boop, you know, chuk, chuk, you could reload those pretty quick yeah. and take out a whole bunch of fifth graders. That's what's going on here. But they keep showing up with this AR-15. At every single mass shooting, it's AR-15s. It seems like the, all the list of the biggest shootings are AR-15s, which is also an unusual thing. You would think it's really, you know, you look at patterns. I mean, you just wonder, like, how come all the air, all the mass shootings all have AR-15s? What, it's, yeah. it's weird. Doesn't make why sense. not Desert Eagle, you know, yeah. dot, dot five O's? I mean, why not, you know, Dirty Harry style 45 calibers? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that can induce a lot of damage but it's always that particular yeah yeah so it's always that weapon and then you know you get these it's funny we you have this pattern and when you're talking about the cops that are hanging outside mm-hmm. of the school that reminded me of parkland quite mm-hmm. a bit very much like remember that. you had a local sheriff there named scott israel who i believe was tied to roger stone and i think mm-hmm. employed one of roger stone's family members mm-hmm. and i think it was his deputies who were outside parkland and again they sat around while Nicholas Cruz, the shooter, shot the place up mm-hmm. and didn't do much. And then CNN was on the spot to, uh, you know, show Scott Israel going around, you know, giving condolences to all the uh, the victims who survived. And uh, Roger Stone's name never came up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were all left reeling. Much like Florida, we are the Florida gay club shooting, a uh, Pulse nightclub. Oh. We had one of the survivors on the show a few weeks ago. Also, it took a long time for police to step inside. Uh, people were trapped inside in the washrooms for a long period of time as the gunman was still killing people. And, you know, we still don't have answers to one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, mass shooting in U.S. history, which took place at that uh, in Vegas, the, the country music concert in Vegas, right at the beginning of the Trump presidency. Now, you know, you investigate that story and it becomes, you know, there's not a lot of stories I've not published because it's just, you look at the results of your investigation, you think, well, that might kill you. And that's one of those stories uh, where the findings are a little bit dangerous. And, you know, it's not what you think. It's not just a crazy person shooting at ordinary civilians. It's an organized crime event. Um, Blowing through construction grade glass mm -hmm. and then shooting with a weapon that shouldn't be able to shoot in as tight a pattern as it did, according to some of the tactical combat experts I spoke with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, was it Dar- Barry Diller from IEC slash the Daily Beast, you know, buys into MGM casinos as soon, like 
right around that time. And then again, once the settlement's done, that's yeah. kind of weird. They sold the hotel chain right after that, didn't they? I think they did. And then, you know, there's all sorts of interesting iconography that happened, you know, regarding the Sphinx that's there. There's all sort of mythical sort of idea explanations why this shooting took place. In addition for it just being an odd thing for a shooting to happen at a concert for country music. I mean, it, you know, it's just not your typical thing you did for someone to do just as an ad hoc personal thing you would do it because you wanted to create panic and fear and see a result come out of it and chronologically that was around the time that the senate intelligence committee was starting hearings that had a lot more teeth in them the house intel and uh while the fbi was in some chaos post comey's firing and right around the congressional hearings kicking up that event took place right hmm. and yet here we are again with two shootings in one month taking place at a time when, again, there's a, a lot of other news going on in the world. You'd be amazed at how much news is not being reported right now. You know, Ukraine, Gen 6, you name it. There's a lot of stories out there that are not making it to, the, to people's attention because all our attention is on one story or two stories in this case, Buffalo, and then this story. And that's, you know, I'm going to put assigning blame or anything, but I think it is, you can't ignore that these shootings always seem to happen at specific times to sort of overflood or flood the news cycle with this story and they don't just flood the news cycle they also flood the neurotransmitters mm -hmm. right you know there's nothing as precious to people as their children or children in general mm -hmm. and when you're talking about some hard graphic story and grieving parents and whatnot it eclipses all the other things you might want to think about mm -hmm. and you know in other words well, if it were a malign activity, if people did try and do this in order to tra traumatize Americans so they couldn't think as much, well, this would be a great way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every anchor on news is, you know, everyone's in tears the last few days. I've actually never seen this. Maybe it happened at Sandy Hook, but it's, I've never seen American anchors break down in every news show on TV. People are just traumatized by these events. They just can't understand it. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. And it just speaks to their powerlessness in a system where it seems so obvious you do something about this, right? You would, you would want to do something about this if you're a politician. It just makes sense. And then on top of that, the fact that the um, NRA conference is, is this week in Houston, I mean... We learned a long time ago, there are no such things as coincidences in the world anymore. And it certainly seems like, you know, this is coincidental, but it sure might, might have other reasons as well that it might be happening. You know, there's correlation and causation. Mm -hmm. That second one is a lot harder to get to. However, I mean, we have the January 6th hearings are coming up. And by every report that we've heard kind of in advance, this is going to be a big deal. There's going to be some revelations my understanding is that we're going to hear about just how scary and bad the treason was that it really was the death of democracy that was intended and you know i get the sense that it's going to change america permanently and by change america it seems like the hostile foreign influences and the hostile organized crime influences around here that are america's two greatest problems are going to be blamed for some of what happened and are going to be rolled back significantly. That's a lot of money at stake <clears throat> and a lot of national interest at stake. And some of the people probably don't want that to happen. So there may be motive to create as much havoc in the United States as possible, where gas is five, six bucks a gallon, where, you know, certain types of baby formula are suddenly, you know, missing. Yeah. Yeah. They got to rocket stuff in from the Nestle company, you know, which is interesting after they got busted for 
having all that cocaine in the Nespresso factory. I'm looking forward to a follow-up story on that because that That'll was interesting. And you know, the story that people are not hearing about in the scandal in SCOTUS, and you know, we've had... Uh, that was a massive scandal, and it just. I'm not trying to be a jackass. Yeah. Which one? Well, there's, there's wait, the wait, two. Wait. I mean, one is the leaking of the abortion report, which you know we're still waiting to see what the actual opinion is, and the other one is the Ginny Thomas scandal around Clarence Thomas. But they also all, you know, are the same scandal because one is January 6th, and the other one is you know it's all part of the same you know concern around Thomas and Alito being you know subject to, to other people's needs or demands. I mean, that seems to be what what we're seeing. We've got some. You know, justices that are not uh, purely independent and uh, yeah, not acting independently. So, you know, and that's the whole reason we say, hey, yo, you have this job forever. Mm-hmm. So you can just use your best judgment. And there's like nine of you. So we're mm. picking the smartest nine people in the country. And you do not need to collect Don't have to worry about a thing. Again. You have to worry about a thing later for the rest of your life. It's supposed to be a pure, wise council. And of course, the American experiment is based upon the three types of government that the founding fathers knew about and knew all their flaws and wanted to play them off against each other. And that was the wise council of Judaic tradition mm. and pure democracy of the Greeks and mm. European monarchy. And to, mm. you know, triangulate those against each other. Pretty clever, I think. That is pretty clever. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And so we, the, you know, there's, there's lots of news that we could be reporting on today. And yet here we are talking about Uvalde and then another school massacre. And then, you know, just to take us back to the Buffalo massacre, it's one that we didn't really cover. There was this brief moment in the news cycle that, you know, everything was being blamed on the Azov regiment because um, this guy had mentioned the Azov regiment in his manifesto. Firstly, I don't know why these, in this case, we don't have the manifesto yet. I'm waiting for it to arrive, but... In every mass shooting, there's always the same pattern again. You've got these manifestos that show up. Some of them are exactly the same manifesto. Like they just copy and paste from other mass shootings, add some things. In Buffalo, they added the Azov Regiment, which everyone quickly said, well, of course, he's not supporting the Azov Regiment. But I was like, how did the Azov Regiment even get in there? Because that would be something. I missed this. How did that get in? Well, that's the question. I mean, you think about why the only people who'd be really. I don't know. In America, I'm sure there's lots of people aware of the Azov Regiment, but they would not be activated to do a shooting or anything related to that or mentioning it in a manifesto unless, I don't know, you were triggered by something that made you do that. It just seems unusual to me that that was in the manifesto. And it was, you know, it's not saying that there was a link, but who would benefit from there being an Azov Regiment mentioned in that? Who would benefit from that? <laughs> I mean, right? It's funny. The uh, I'm you're not saying that this is a, a Russian op, but uh, but you had the base. What was it called? The base. Rinaldo Azari was like Italian dude's name. I forget if it was Atomwaffen Division or the base that was going to do domestic terrorism. And when they got busted, he went to where? Moscow. Moscow. Yeah. Yeah, that's where white nationalism comes from. It's where white supremacism comes from. That's where they, that's where they decide, you know, the, the rebirth of white supremacism comes from. It's where also, by the way, the anti-gay movement comes from. It's the family, focus on the family movement comes from, comes from Moscow. That's where they came up with that idea. You know, there's just these trends that you're looking at. You mean like, the Kremlin. The Kremlin. <laughs> I mean the Kremlin. Where they actually threw the party for the focus on the family convention when they had it in 2013. At the Kremlin. Um, so, you know. You know, it's there's a real possibility we're and at it, war. You know, and we are people, at, we're at war with Russia. You know, it's <clears throat> maybe not directly at war with Russia, but we're at war with Russia, and um, you can't divorce the fact that we're 
sending in our weapons, military support, and our military intelligence to a war zone against Russia. And it certainly would, uh, when you look at the news in the last few days, you haven't heard very much about Ukraine, have you? Even though the Russians are actually doing much better now in Ukraine, interestingly enough. Less pressure. Yeah. In the Donbass region, they're now aggressively taking the Donbass region, and there isn't much of a reaction because their weapons haven't arrived yet for Ukraine. Now, you could argue that if there was a new more news attention on that, there might be more weapons arriving at a quicker pace. I don't know. I don't know. There's all we good questions. Be, we all, we all got to be careful about tactical military intelligence without a security clearance, because yes. the real stuff is that That's someone true. else has got yeah. that right now. Yeah. And look, I'm sure the weapons are there, and I'm sure the Ukrainians can do whatever they need to. But the truth is that, that the last couple of days, we've seen a huge offensive by the Russians. Now, I had heard that uh, they would like raise the conscript age to like 44. And I'm north of that border now. And I got to tell you, if you like wanted me to be an infantryman, uh, just give it up, dude. This is not going to go well. Um, You mentioned the other thing is the food prices and famine. And uh, yesterday, maybe even today, Russia introduced a deal, a a proposal to the United Nations that they would help the world with its famine and the food (laughs) supply shortage in exchange for the dropping of sanctions against them. So, you know, as we were discussing a few weeks ago, blackmailing the world uh, you know, we'll we'll feed you if you drop the sanctions, if you allow us to continue to be who we are. And so it's not that these shortages aren't affecting us. They're affecting us. Um, you know, the war is affecting us in many, many ways. Yeah, but <clears throat> there's also some people taking some profits right now because that's a narrative that'll fly. So <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see um, who gets hit with antitrust charges and price fixing charges for price gouging over this because... Remember, a lot of these are grain futures. This, you know, hold on. This war, it's only May here. Mm. We're not to harvest yet. Now, are we, Ducharme? No. Sorry, we're bringing up another topic. My yeah. accent's going to come out. So <laughs> things start, it starts in, this thing starts in February, right? You know, they start shooting in February. It's yeah. still, you know, winter. Yeah. So planting season is only about two, three weeks ago, isn't it? I don't know enough about what you're talking about, but I believe you. You don't know when you don't know when planting starts. It starts I don't know when planting there. starts, especially because I came. Yeah. I grew up in the south, uh, in the southern hemisphere, well, where it's all very, very way, south. It's just very, very, very south and very, very opposite. So, uh, but, but you, I would say the planting are, season must be, you know, in, in now ish. Zev is very clearly an effete cosmopolitan liberal type who mean? doesn't even know <laughs> where to end up plant. Well. I mean, I would be a terrible, if the apocalypse comes, I'd be, I'm screwed. You know, I'm not there to survive. So I would note that when I talked about my rural background, I involved intimate relationships with barnyard animals. So don't (laughs) feel bad that you've avoided this. This is other information. I just don't want to hear about your intimate relationship. (laughs) I didn't say mine. Okay, but some people's, some people's, uh, people's is, you know, three in my high school before we were out. That's actually true. Um, Anyhow. Oh that gosh. wasn't what I came on to. T- yeah, it's very different. It's very different. Uh, <laughs> it's very, it's very <laughs> but anyhow, you don't plant till spring and then right. them grain, that grain don't come up till, you know, fall and late summer. Right. But there's grain silos full of grain that is not moving from Ukraine. They're just rotting in Ukraine because the Russians won't let it out. And so the Africa is going to be facing extreme starvation. Because that's a lot of where the grain supplies are going to. But is that why, like, Fruit Loops are six bucks at my grocery store? Because that don't, again, you're talking about supplies and supply chains mm-hmm. that takes more time than that. So Probably I, I'm wondering. Maybe it's still going to happen. I don't know. 
I don't know. The re- fuel increases is the oil increases is what's causing the Fruit Loops to go up. I mean, the transportation of everything, the cost of driving a car, the cost of doing any of the things that we're used to doing has just gone up a lot because of the war again. That's the story about it. But is that, I mean, is that a reason for a 42% increase in like English muffin prices. No, I think price there's gouging. a lot of price gouging. There's just people on purpose creating an inflationary cycle. And so that has nothing to do with the geopolitics of it. Because there are the geopolitics, that go up. but also the geopolitics, you add all these things together. I mean, there is an oil problem because we're, we've got an oil embargo. So some of the oil pricing is different. You know, uh, there is some of that, but grain isn't getting to market. That's also true. But absolutely. I think what's going on in America, this inflation cycle is constructed. We have so few companies that can control this, you know, and we have so few companies. Mm-hmm. There we go. When you yeah. don't really have a market, when you've, this is the problem. And this is one of the greatest things about the Biden administration. It's one of the dorkiest. And uh, maybe people won't talk about it for 20 years. The revival of the antitrust mm. division at the department of justice is so good. It's so like, important. there are so many industries where when you get down to oligopoly, not necessarily monopoly, but oligopoly and oligopsony, which is oligopoly is a limited number of sellers. Oligopsony is a limited number of buyers. When you get there, competitive dynamics change and not for the more healthy Mm -hmm. side. And you have companies that line more up with nation. They are more synonymous with the nation state that they represent, Mm -hmm. whether it's the one they in the country they're in or not. So you can have a for-profit companies that are perhaps beholden the nation states, not where their headquarters is. Mm-hmm. I think America has at least a couple of those. I think a fair amount of those. Yeah. And when you have 17 or 23 companies that are all innovating different products and projects and, you know, investments, then if somebody makes a, you know, somebody gets in bed with Beijing or somebody gets in bed with the Sinaloa cartel or something weird, well, then that's their problem. And then, you know, you've got dynamics. This is where my industry, competitive intelligence, came from, is looking at the dynamics of all those different players. But when you get it down to two or three companies, Mm. there's not as much to look at in a traditional competitive strategy sense of like Harvard Business School, 1980, Michael Porter theory of uh, business competition. And you get this weird hybrid of like, this is the will of nation states. And these companies are tools of those nation states. And... They act in different ways when there's only two or three of them. And let's say their fate is tied in with some bad guys. Maybe they might want to cause some chaos of their own to make you think that perhaps the current political regime that is bringing back the antitrust division, the civil rights section, the SEC, NATO, right? (laughs) Old old school stuff, NATO, that they want to psychologically impose on people and go, you know, like very, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to track it, but it's like, yeah, there's all this stuff happening and I don't like it because, you know, it cost me a lot of money to mm-hmm. fill up the, the car. I went to the grocery store. I felt disturbed. I came home. I saw a bunch of kids were shot and you just feel bad about this. And, you know, maybe you're thinking that, that you can affect the, perhaps you can affect the voting in the midterm election or the next presidential election because the average person just felt ugly about mm-hmm. ugly stuff that's not something you can pull off in the marketplace when there's like 30 companies competing they're too busy competing mm-hmm. but if there's like two you can do it 
I mean, it's, you know, and it all comes down to the GOP. I tweeted something yesterday about the fact that you can't expect the GOP to change because they've already sold out to Beijing and Riyadh and, you know, and Moscow. And if they will not make it easier for people, they'll make it more difficult for people to get guns because that's not what's in, it's in the interest of Moscow and Beijing right now. They want to see a destabilized America. They want to see a chaotic America. They want to see a democracy that's flailing and They'll continue to do this until they get their man in power or their woman in power, whoever it might be, in the next round of elections, because that's what they've told us they want to do. I mean, that's what they did last time. Then they'll just stop democracy, as they did, wanted to try and do on January the 6th. They're just going to stop democracy from happening, as they've shown us they wanted to do on January the 6th last year. So this is not a party interested in the people. This is a party interested in the crime that's attached to their activities and the money they can make. You know, the middlemaning and the schemes that they've concocted in order to make themselves some money along the way, while Beijing and Moscow, you know, try to weaken American interests around the world. They haven't succeeded in doing that, but that's what they're trying to do. And there's so pleading, as we've been seeing people pleading with the GOP to be different, GOP is not going to be different. You know, we've been covering the Sussman case, right? And uh, there's little uh, news tidbits like uh, Kevin Spacey got hit with, what, three or four uh, charges of sexual mm. assault in the UK. And he used to fly around with Jeffrey Epstein and what's his name? Bill Clinton. Yeah, that guy. And, you know, like I know uh, some of my more liberal followers uh, get a little upset that, uh, you know, they thought that I was uh, just, you know, I wasn't. Uh, just opposed to corruption and treason, but that they were kind of hoping that I, I was part of their partisan dream of uh, just hating on Republicans. Um, and they get upset when I point out felonies uh, that are, do not matter what party they are. Mm. But here's the thing I, I you know, I, asking the GOP to be better is hilarious to me. Mm. It's like they're gone, those days are gone. They're not going to happen. And we need a new party. We need an alternative for people to vote in the red states because they're not going to vote for Democrats. They don't trust Democrats. But there is a potential for another party or maybe there are Democrats that can change the image of the Democratic Party. But we certainly need to give voters in those states an alternative they can feel comfortable voting for. Start a new party. I mean, you know, we don't have wigs around anymore. Yeah. The Democratic Republicans of uh, Madison and Jefferson, they're gone. That's, you know, we have to start something. We have, you know, parties live and die. That's okay. And there's a big hole open for, look, I think the bifurcation of uh, American politics, George Washington in his resignation address when he left after two terms, you know, he warned everybody about partisanship and I think he was right. But that's the way the game is played now. There's two parties. And I think the idea of having kind of more of, uh, if you take uh, George Lakoff's cognitive models of which, what the parties offer, mm -hmm. that Ideally, the Democratic Party is offering more of a nurturing, mothering-like figure, and the Republican Party is ideally more of a strict, you know, standards upholding, you know, father-like figure. Mm -hmm. That's ideally. Now, in reality, Dad is on crack and is is sleeping in the ditch after parting with the Sinaloa cartel. It's pretty bad. Uh, the Dems have their own problems. But that idea, we're going to have two parties that represent the human mind a little bit different. And so that you can, well, I kind of like this set of policies more. I like that set of policies more. I, you know, I don't think a two-party system is bad. But I think if one has taken money from the NRA that's really come from the Russian mafia, I think that party needs to go away. That's yeah. just me. I like should ask, go away. Uh, the, Let's ask the viewers. Out in Canada, here. we have five. We have five parties. You know, it's only 30 million people. So there's, you know, 300 million in, in the United States. And which have, are those? 
uh, you want to know the five party? <laughs> the New Democrats, the, yes. the Liberals, the, the Conservatives, the Green Party, and uh, what do I leave out? Uh, Le Parti Québécois. Okay, sorry. Bloc Québécois. Uh, Le Bloc Québécois. Yeah, you're so good. You know your Canadian uh, politics. There's one thing, you know, I've been, there's two things I want to share before we leave. One is the story that is not leaving my mind. Someone sent it to me the other day and it reports that in 2018, a Columbine-inspired teens planned a mass shooting at a Uvalde middle school. So same town, different school, but planned a shooting they were aged 13 and 14. You know, the date they planned it for was their graduation year, which was April 20th, 2022, which is a month ago, a few weeks ago. They were uh, arrested and had been dealt with in the system there, but it would not have been the first time that Uvalde had to deal with a school shooting the last few days as they, they've had to deal with the possibility of that for a few years now. And on top of that, how weird is it? It was the same month, basically, the shooting does actually take place and that this was planned over three, you know, five years ago by these 13 and 14 year olds. I mean, that seems to me, um, something's up there. Ago. Yeah. It's strange. I, mean, I think there's a lot of stuff with the department of Homeland security knows some stuff they can't talk about. People, really you know, this doesn't seem fully this. organic. You know, there are countries that have more weapons. Okay. Nobody outside like Afghanistan, mm -hmm. you know, has as many firearms as the United States. But there are countries that have lots more guns where somebody cuckoo can arm themselves and go out in the public, but they don't. You know what this did happen? This All this really happened in South Africa. A very similar trend in violence happened towards the end of South Africa apartheid. As, you know, uh, as things were beginning to be crystal clear that Nelson Mandela was going to be the president and that, you know, the ANC were going to be in power and that, you know, racism was over in this country, which was a huge watershed moment that every person I knew, black, white, or any other race was thrilled about. I mean, there was just this excitement about we were going to take on the future and, you know, we're going to have a, a whole new way of operating because we finally got rid of this horrible system that we had. You know, that voting day on, in 1994 was remarkable. People really there was no violence on that day. People were peaceful, calm. They just did what they needed to do. But after it became clear that this was the case, this incredible uh, spree of crime that suddenly emerged out of nowhere. No one had expected it. You know, no one expected the carjackings and the sudden crimes on the suburbs. And no one really understood where it came from because there was sort of unanimous agreement that this was going to be a good thing. We had agreed. Yeah, great. You guys got, you know, there's no racism. Everyone gets to do whatever. But suddenly this crime spree emerged and they were carjacking cars and the cars were being sold into the international market. And no one really understood how that was happening because that's like a organized effort, right? I mean, you don't have to, yeah. you have to steal them. You have to ship them. I don't know how it works, but it requires a lot of that. And, you know, at the time, all you could think about was the crime spree. And as you point out, people in their ordinary lives just wanted to leave South Africa because they just had enough of the crime. No one wants to live in a crime spree. No one wants to live in a world where they're getting shot at or, you know, it was far more peaceful under apartheid for everybody, it just turned out. Um, so what happened during that period when everyone was so happy and so euphoric? Why did some people decide to suddenly launch a crime spree? It's a really good question. And why did the police find themselves so ineffective in stopping it. You know, why were they the ones who couldn't stop the crime spree? Because it was evident, you know, you could see it everywhere. It was happening to a lot of people. Why was no one being arrested? Why is then has, there was not stopped? And so you land up with this idea of an organized crime element happening in the country that was taking advantage of the change so they could do more criming. 
Because while all of this was going on and everyone's freaking out about the chaos and the crime and people dying, they were siphoning all the resources out of South Africa. They were basically stealing ah. South Africa's uh, you know, money, South Africa's resources. They were you know, setting up corruption in a way that had never been done before. They were perhaps even using companies like PayPal to take some of that money out of South Africa and launder it into the world. You know, we now know that one of the people at PayPal, the guy who was one of the founders of PayPal, was the uh, grandson of Puk Bota, the foreign minister in the South African apartheid regime. You know, he was a nice guy to most people. He even stayed on under Mandela. But how is he? Who? who, who, who? The, the, one, of the, one of the founders of PayPal in the PayPal the, mafia, Rulof Bota is the grandson of Puk Bota of the um, apartheid regime and uh, was the foreign minister during that time and met the guy. It was a really, you know, for, for the apartheid people, he was the nicest of a lot of them, but he's, he might've been involved in a scheme to, you know, siphon some money out of South Africa at that time. You know, Elon Musk, South African, also tied to potential illegal mining in Zambia. You got Peter Thiel, who happened to be in Mozambique at the time, also involved in mining. And uh, Puk Bota landed up being the minister of mining under Mandela. So, you know... I, I get kind of a spy sense yeah. here. There's yeah, kind of some espionage kind of stuff. Yeah. Espionage and grand theft because you're taking all the resources, mining money and all this other stuff you can out of South Africa in order to really weaken South Africa. So, the, you know, the response to, oh, we're going to have a race-free, racism-free country was we're going to attack the economy, steal all the money and create a crime wave that makes it impossible for you to live well. And that's continued to a large, large extent until today. Think of the resources in the rest of Africa. And if South Africa had come to its apex as what it could be with this diversity and history and all these strengths, if those strengths were allowed to come together, all mm. these places that have bauxite, uranium, petroleum, rare woods, other rare earths, all because people don't realize how big Africa is, or frankly, how badly Africa is like drawn on maps that give you an impression like it is smaller yeah. than it is. It is enormous mm -hmm. and incredibly rich. And if you didn't have kleptocracies on there, well, then how would the Chinese build a port or two and then steal all the stuff? And then right. Kind of right. You know, countries like Israel have been pillaging African resources for the longest time. You know, di diamond industry is basically stolen out of Angola to a large extent. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's not even... Not even something. You Dan Gertler, I believe. Dan Gertler, but there's also, he was friends with Mr. Trump. Steinmetz. Uh, the, uh, the Chabad guy. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. I'm sorry. But there's, you know, the big, the big diamond guy in Israel who also happens to have Chinese spy ties is Mr. No. Yeah. Is the guy who stole the diamonds from Angola. You know, I mean, that's basically like the, it's not very hard to see once you just look at it. And so, you know, you mentioned China's and Eric Prince is another individual who has interests in resource and flying resources and uh, moving logistics around Africa for the Chinese. You know, it's another person that's attached to this whole thing, which is interesting. But I digress. But my point is that as America enters this sort of point where it's come to the realization that it, we're going to be okay with each other. We're going to live in a non-racial democratic country and we're going to be okay like that. Isn't it funny that they installed this presidency that's become so offensive and, cri and crimey that they introduced this 
um, horrendous crime wave, this inflation, this war, famine, climate change, and whatever it is that America's dealing with right now, all happening at a time when, you know, America's changing. With the demographics of the country, we're changing. With the demographics of the country, we're going to look different than the past. And white people are not going to be the majority or clear majority anymore. Just like in South Africa, where white people are not going to be in power anymore, even though they were the minorities in, in South Africa. And you add to that the brain drain, and you've got a real problem that happens in countries. So, And there's a saying in the futures trade, the only people out there that like change are wet babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a good line. It's a really good line. You know, but you know who really don't like it? Criminals who've got criminal rackets going on. They don't like that at all. And you know what's interesting? They will tell you to be scared of everybody else. They'll tell you to be scared of the black people. They'll tell you to be scared of the Muslims. They'll tell you to be scared of Jews. They'll tell you, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe that's not the right one. But they'll tell you that to be, they'll blame everybody else and make sure that you're scared of absolutely every other thing. The liberals, those terrible Democrats, the communists, you name it. When in reality, the people that are causing the damage to the country, the people that are allowing those guns to be shot at kids, the people that are allowing Donald Trump to be president and let COVID come into the country, the people that are allowing the crime rackets and the child abuse that's going on in the country, the people that are allowing all this organized crime, the people that are profiting off it, the people that are taking away your abortion rights, the people that are taking away your LBGTQ rights, the people that are taking away your your rights to vote. That's not coming from the black people or the Muslim people. That's coming from the white people. That's coming from the GOP. Those are the people that are the threats of America. That's coming from the money. Yeah. That's coming from the money because there is no GOP in the UK. There's no GOP in South Africa. The Gupta family are not Republicans, right? Yeah. You know, the Guptas in South Africa. Yeah. Real trouble, right? Real trouble. um, They stole the economy there too. But they're not GOP. They're they're just, they're just crooks. So, but the comparison with South Africa at the time is, you know, the threat came from who, in terms of who stole the money out of South Africa, who took the money was the apartheid regime took the money. It's not that the money disappeared after the apartheid regime. They stole the money on the way out the door. They were, you know, they made the deal. They said, okay, fine, we'll end apartheid, but we're going to take the money with us. And they left the country to a large extent. Sounds like some of it made its way to Silicon Valley. That's sounds, like, sounds like it did. It seems like a lot of it came to Silicon Valley, which is why, you know, we, we call them the PayPal mafia. It may not be a jaunty uh, metaphor. It may be <laughs> it, it may more be. of a direct comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it, I think it very much is. And, you know, why we spend so much time talking about Elon Musk and Peter Thiel on the show is because it's because exactly that reason. Uh, thanks, Eric. This is an impromptu show. This is not what we had planned to do tonight, but we will do the show we were planning about Elon Musk in the coming weeks. But we just had to He's not coming on. We, we came this close to getting, you know, we almost had some <laughs> Flynn's on here. But if Elon wants to talk, I mean, heck. Hey, the, you know, the Flynn's want to come on. I'm still, I just, I just don't know. Maybe the audience can help us decide if we should interview Joe Flynn. Um, I want Mike. Mike, if you're out there, let's talk about the software you used in Afghanistan and how it was useful in uh, 2016. I mean, Mike Flynn We're, and Joe Flynn are connected at the hip. So that's Mike I want to talk to. What about uh, Roger Stone? Would you talk to Roger Stone? Sure. I mean, why not? Let's, let's I, have a chat. I'll chat with everybody. I would too, but you know, I, I don't know. You guys tell us whether we should interview these people. Uh, would you be, you know, Joe Flynn, Roger Stone, um, you know, should they become available? Would you be interested in hearing? Paul Manafort. Paul, I, oh, you know, yeah, is I he back in ostrich jackets? I mean, he's like the one guy I have respect for because he's like, I, I, you know, I'm a mobster. I mean, look, you got to, I'd be fascinated to talk to these people, you know, if they would talk to us because that's what journalists are meant to do. We're meant to talk to people on all sides, you know, get ideas. 
But these days in Twitter world, it becomes hard to navigate sometimes. So, but I, you know, I personally feel like it's important to hear everybody. If we don't hear everybody, we'll never ever solve the problems in this country. Here's something for the audience out there. You know, a lot of the characters that you've seen pop up in media and that, you know, are playing bad guys and, or maybe playing good guys, you know, they oftentimes represent another powerful interest. You know, as the whole kind of game comes apart and the masks come off, we might want to talk to some of these people who seem to be bad guys and go, well, what were you really doing there? How do you feel about that? How'd you start out? Uh, mm. Because I think I, this, we, this is where we came in at. We were talking about the January 6th hearings. Again, all my sources say we there's some real flamethrower stuff coming out. And we're going to have, uh, much in the way that uh, South Africa did, you know, post-apartheid, we have a chance to look at this and go, what just happened here? Because I think we're going to hear some stories about something pretty serious that's going to scare us all into the moment. It's going to focus uh, us onto what's happening. And, you know, we should keep these lines of dialogue open to go, because, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, I have a friend who's coming out with an essay called The Hackable System of Good Intentions. Mm. And that there's a lot of people who start out with really good ideas and um, they get taken over by malign actors and whatnot. And, you know, you, you're not as cynical as hostile intelligence services and whatnot. And you end up in a place you didn't intend to be. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of people who followed one ideology or another who were good people who didn't tend to hurt folks. There's also a bunch of, you know, monsters and creeps and criminals out there. We just want them to go to prison and go away. But for the rest of us, you know, we might have been thin sliced by Facebook and different algorithms out into not talking to each other, but people started as good folks and got, you know, detoured. Maybe we need to get back to talking to each other and go, well, what just happened there? Because we have been subjects, all of us, to like the greatest unlicensed consent-free psychological experiment in human history absolutely. on into computer devices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're under attack every second of the day uh, because of this in psychological warfare and the PSYOP that's been, uh, you know, and the damage is going to be untold for generations. But um, we shall prevail, as they say. And on that note, I should say that you can join us, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash narrative. We really rely on our patrons to support this program and we can't do it without them. We thank them so much for helping us out on a regular basis. And we hope that you'll join us at patreon.com forward slash narrative. I only have one more thing. May I tag this? In our last episode, I made a challenge to China and Saudi yes. to sanction me. And I'd just like to say, both of you, China, Saudi Arabia, you can kiss my ass. You're not man enough to sanction me. Where are you? China? But Russia was. You? So are you going to be behind Russia? Yeah. It's pathetic. Delayed you guys Russia's can get it. Come on. Do it. You Do it. Sanction me. Eric. Everyone wants to Do sanction it Eric. Do it tonight. It'll help us by tomorrow morning. It'll really, really be helpful to us. So please do it. It'll help sanction. you. I'll never turn up in your country and bother you. You're not um, planning any uh, special trips to Macau or uh, Beijing in the near future? No? You know, I, I, there were, they have the annual smog festival that I yeah. was going to go to. <laughs> but if they sanction me, I won't go. So Macau has the longest life expectancy in the world, I found out the other day. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Must be good to be a mobster in China. <laughs> um, on that note, uh, sanction Eric by tomorrow, please, Saudi Arabia. Please, China. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com 
forward slash narrative.